Welcome back, everyone, to Why Care. Uh, this is Rashmi Sajani, and I'm here with my friend Tim Allen. Today is like a really, really, really exciting episode, I think, for both of us because we're talking about something we are super passionate about, which is what the private sector can do right now to support parents. We're going to be joined by one of my favorite people in the world, Carol Jewell, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Technology and Operating Officer at Synchrony, um, as well as Melanie Moratti. Senior Director of HR Rewards at Best Buy. So, Tim, catch me up. What's happening in parenting world today? Uh, Reshma, always good to see you. I love catch. I love these catch up sessions. Uh, so, you know, the the it's the power of twins in my family right now. It is two against one. I have never felt it more succinctly than I have in the last couple of days. Uh, it is very funny for me to watch the kids band together and be like anti-dad, if that makes sense. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's very you. like- Yes, I do. Right. Oh, yeah. And what about, and like, they're becoming so smart in their own, like their way, you know, that one of them feeds off the yep. other. And now it's like, you know, seven-year-olds just think they know everything. Like, they just think they know everything. So no matter what I say at this moment in time, it's like, oh, no, that's not the way. Like, I could be talking about quantum physics, and they're like, no, 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 that's not how this works. And I'm like, mm, let's really, like, uh, oh, like, and then, like, we've you and I have talked about this. You don't want to, like, crush their little curiosity. But at the same time, I'm also like, no, this is not a democracy. <laughs> this is not a democracy. <laughs> this is a pure dictatorship. And, like, this is not how this is going to go. Um, I know. So it's like they you know <laughs> Yeah. It's always like that, especially like after holidays or like, you know, weeks off, we're just like, oh um, you feel like I feel like picking like get off of me, right? It's yes. like picking them off. And oh my god, it's like <laughs> I love these mom memes, obviously. And I was, I'm gonna read it to you. It's so funny. This woman, awesome, her name is um awesome little sleepers. And it's like a tweet, it's like been feeling a little moody and run down lately. Googled my symptoms to see what I might have. It's kids. I have kids. And it was so freaking funny. I was like, oh my God. That's like how literally everybody is feeling right now. It is. It is. And you know, there th- these moments are like, uh, I'm so thankful for the education system and teachers. Like, I am so thankful. Like, you know, I was like, this is three weeks. And I love, like, I love being around my kids. But to your point, it's like, go like five minutes. I need to use the restroom. Leave me alone. Get out. Like, you know, that yeah. kind of moment. So... I well, I have a two-year-old, so I don't even get to do that. Like, literally, he <laughs> finds me whatever, especially when I'm in the bathroom, because that is his favorite purse to say, you know, mommy, mommy peeing? I'm like, yes, <laughs> mommy is peeing. Close the door. You know? Like, that's my sanctuary. Like, I, like I, <laughs> I just want to take a shower. Like, you know, like, leave yeah. me alone. And, like, I need five minutes of my day where it's like, and I love being around them all the time, but I'm like, personal spaces, like what age do you develop personal space is what I want to know. Like, you know, everyone's like, oh, they're going to become teenagers and never want to be around you. And I'm like, is it wrong that sometimes I wish they were? Is that nice? Like, you know? I know. I know. It's, it's like, it's like, but they need a lot. And I think it's like the physicalness and the attention and the love and all of it. And so, and then we're really busy people. So it's really, it's really, really hard. And I think we feel it more. Like we feel guilty about it more. I mean, my parents never gave it crap. You know what I mean? Like if we didn't have any attention from them, they were just busy doing their thing and like working hard. And now it's like, I think mirrored with all the guilt that you have is what makes it hard, especially I think around the holidays or breaks where you're really just like, you're burnt out, you're exhausted, your kids need your attention. You feel guilty that you want to have a break from them. And it's like the whole, the whole thing. I thought it was especially interesting this season, how people were just really a lot more honest about how they 
felt that they felt that way. Yeah. Uh, whether it was like, I'm at home with my mother and I want to lock myself in my room and I'm 50 years old, or it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. need to like, lock, like it, people were just a lot more honest, which I, I, I found, um, I don't know, soothing. I've noticed it too. Uh, the thing I'm thinking about right now is 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 I'm hearing a lot more of the power of no, not even from myself, but other people just saying, no, not you know, like no, that's not going to work for me. Or like, you know, my mom was like, like let's let's meet up halfway through. Like I can, I'm like within a four hour driving distance, and then I called her and she was like, no, you know, I love <laughs> you, I love the kids, but no, and I was like, wow, like. One, okay, great. That release, really like, I really don't want to get in the car and drive. I love you. Like, you know, like, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to yeah. hang out with you today. But like, there's just now this in this society, I feel like there is just more of a power of no kind of moment happening where people are being authentic. They're, they're showing up with an authentic thing versus doing things out of obligation more and more. Yeah. That still exists, but. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I, I think that's, I think that's a post, post pandemic thing where I think people really got a sense of like what it's like when you actually pay attention to yourself and how you feel and like that you, you can't, that it feels nice sometimes to like hide and cocoon and not constantly say yes to everything. So hopefully that's, you know, in that's our, you know, 2023 New Year's resolution is like a lot more of no, a lot more of self care. Like my, 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 uh, you know, my, my family's motto is we're going to be cheap and authentic this year. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. What does that look re- like for you? Real. What does that look like for you? Like meaning like I um, like what does that mean? You know what I'm asking? I mean, I think it's about. I think I think you just like I, listen, I have a lot of guilt. Like I say yes to a lot of things that I don't have time to do because I feel guilty not saying no. So I think saying no to me is really, really, really like a big thing. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think it's especially hard. I mean, I, I mean, no, we're gonna bring Carol in soon. She's she's this. It's it's really hard to travel with little kids. And I mm. feel like I'm constantly being pushed back into travel. So that means I'm constantly re-editing my schedule. And so then it means I'm constantly not enjoying the experiences that people would then in- enjoy because I'm just frenetic about my schedule. And so I don't want to do that, you know what I mean, this year. And look, I mean, I also think like a lot of people, it's like the markets have been really brutal. And, yeah. you know, we're kind of at that phase as a family where we're trying to, you know, work on a new home. And and so it was a little bit of a wake-up call, like, okay, like we got to put some things off, you know what I mean? And we got to kind of like make different types of financial choices. I think a lot of families are doing that kind totally. of this year with all the uncertainty that's happening in the market. I'm really grateful actually right now because I had really cheap parents. You know, my parents did not ever go to the grocery store without coupons. You know what I mean? If Love you it. got like, you know, if you had charged a dollar for something that you didn't pay for, oh, it was straight back to, or something was cheaper at Jewel than Dominic's. It was, and so I think the part of that growing up with that amount of frugalness made me really resent money. And so I wanted to be detached with money, which meant that mm. I wasn't going to bring a coupon. I wasn't going to buy something on sale. I wasn't going to return something I got overcharged for. But I'm now like kind of in this moment, really kind of like going back to some of my parents' parenting tactics and be like, you know what? I'm going to adopt that. Like, I'm going to actually be frugal and cheap this year. I'm going to look for the deal. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like get things on sale and fight for my dollar back and like, you know what I mean? Make different types of choices. I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's funny. You and I, growing up worlds apart, grew up 
very similar. Like you, I, I go to CVS and I am all about those CVS dollar. Like they get those, <laughs> the extra savings were like, my friends make fun of me. They're like, it's a dollar. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like mm-hmm. that's a dollar. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I got yeah. like, we got the means to do it. You know, you got the means. It's like, we could stretch it and make it work, but it's like, why wouldn't you like, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a way of also self-care. It's a way of preserving what you've worked so hard to earn, you know? And I think that that's yeah. an okay mentality to have. It's okay for you to be like, you know, save it, save and, and totally live with it. But means. you know what's so funny, Tim? I don't know if you experienced this. I thought that my parents living their life that way was more stressful. Mm. And what I didn't realize that they actually got joy out of saving money. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't actually try to do get the dollar back or use the coupon or sign up for the deal rewards thing because I was like, well, that's stressful. I don't want to be thinking about money all the time. Yeah. And now that I'm kind of like being more like them, I'm like, oh, this is fun to save money. Like it actually feels good. Yeah. You know what I mean? To spend less, have less, you know, need less. Yeah. Uh, and be less attached to things. And um so I get it now a little bit. I think the older I'm getting, I'm understanding it a little bit more. And it's it's a, it's definitely what I want to teach my children. That's it. See, it, I've seen both sides of it. I, I've lived both sides of it. I know exactly what you mean. It could be stressful, but it also could turn into a game. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, can you? Yeah. And it's that fine line of not letting it control you, but you controlling it. Does that make sense? Like, you don't become obsessive about, like, yeah. how much money, like, you're, like, every moment is like, oh, I didn't get the 30 cents off of the dawn. You know, like, that yeah. kind of, like, instead it's like the... It's a game. You want to play the game, but at the same time, you don't want to let it control you, but it is about the kids. You know, I was going to say to you, my kids, I feel it. They don't have the same value. And I'm going to say, no. like, oh man, for a dollar that I have, you know, and it's not because it's, they're not like me. I do think it's a generational thing. Like my kids come home from these birthday parties with these like little gift bags. They went to a, a, a roller, they went roller skating like over the holiday. Um, and so they, they went to a little... It, this gift bag is like got all of the trinkets and the stuff and the like the more clutter of my household, but they have become they I, I they are they are I'm not kidding seven year old hoarders like yeah. I will open up drawers same with mine yes and it's like but they're just inundated with stuff you know what I'm yeah. saying and it's like not yeah. even quality stuff it's not even stuff like no. I've, I've spent money on it it's just stuff and so then. Things have lost a little bit of a value to them. Yeah, and they don't, and they don't take care of them. I mean, it's so true. And I, I'm like that old. I'm like, I got one present during Christmas, yeah. and if it was like, I always wanted a cabbage pot patch doll, and oh, I knew God. exactly where that doll was. Her hair was combed. She was pristine. Like you, like you said, like I took care of her. And this Christmas, I mean, I was just like looking at these toys. I'm like. Ugh. I'm doing it all wrong. Yeah. Like you get too much stuff. And my, my Sean, literally after Christmas, his birthday is like five weeks later. He was making his list for his birthday list. I'm like, you, you better get out of my face. You know what I mean? Right. Because that is not. I did not teach you that. Like that is not what I want to be teaching you. Is and so it, they don't have. We you, we have to be really thoughtful about how are you kind of teaching your kids the value of money, to not be hoarders, right? To not be too attached to things because you never then get to actually appreciate anything that you have because yep. you're on to the next thing that you want. That's exactly it. It, 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 it. While you were talking, it's exactly what I was thinking. It's the what's next. My kids yep. were like, open toy, what's next? Open toy, what's yep, next? Yep. And it's like, next, next. I'm like, where's the thing you just 
are obsessed with? You know, where's the thing yeah. that you that like is like you own it and you mean it. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know as I do in these sessions these these therapy sessions um, <laughs> I I share a little a little something something about my kids which I will I will tell one on myself. So my kids have iPads, which you know during the holidays have been a lifesaver because like we yeah. do the age mine, do, mine does too. Yeah, yep, totally. We, we do all of the restrictions, all of like the downtime, the thing like that. The kids installed a game. They're obsessed with this game. It's a Pokemon game, okay? So the kids are, like, obsessed with the Pokemon game. And, you know, we're very limited in who they can interact with, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, all you parents out there who think that I could be – I promise you I'm doing the right thing in the restrictions. <laughs> the restriction I didn't put on, buying the coins in-game. <laughs> oh, no. You were one of those? $140 over two days. Oh, my God. $140 over two days. And, like – the thing that bothers me the most about it is they have no – they know it's money. They know what they were doing, yeah. right? So, like, they lost those iPads. Yeah. Those iPads are, like – those iPads are now the property of their father <laughs> from here forward for a moment. Like, they lost the iPad. But more important, it's the, the – this digital transaction, this, this, this thing has no real-world concept for them in value. You know what I'm saying? Funny so it's like, yep. yeah, it's like, they're just like, oh, okay, I press a button, two buttons later, and I get coins. And these coins can turn into something I can do on the game. And it's like, it. what scares me more about that is like, how are we going to educate this next generation of what this, like, the value of something when it's not physical? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, yeah, you and it's I are talking about it great Christmas. point. It's Christ such a great point. Me. They don't know what's $69.99. It's just $69.99. I'm like... You have no idea, again, for a game, you have no idea what that, how much that, like, what that means, how, how much you have to work to make that kind of money. Yes. You know what I mean? $69, like what people do. And it's like, you're right. How do you teach them that? Well, I mean, our parents said, I'm just going to go back to like some of their tactics and I'm, you know, just realizing that. Yeah. This will be the first fully immersed generation, I believe that will have digital currency as the norm versus the exception, meaning that they are going to be so indoctrinated into buying it on demand, streaming on demand, doing everything digital, which is – technology is great. But it also just lowers yeah. the, the resilience and the restriction muscles yes. that people have. And so it's like how, as a parent, do you infuse that in them when it's so two buttons oh, it's away? Such a, we could like do a whole episode. Of it. you know, it's so interesting you're saying like because when you got your allowance and your dad gave you $5, yes. you knew with that $5 bill going to, you know what I mean, going to Dominic's Jewel, whatever, 7-Eleven, what you could buy with that. And then when yeah. you bought it, it was gone. They don't understand. When, when everything's digital currency, you don't have that appreciation or understanding. And so you can just constantly consume, you know, and go in debt, you know, which is what's happening and not understand the concept of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally crazy. And so, okay, let's invite our friend, <laughs> Carol. Hi, Carol. <laughs> Yay. Um, it's so great to have you here, Carol. Um, as you know, Right. We're so excited about this at the Marshall Plan. Right. We've been surveying moms about what they need and that the need for childcare has been so overwhelming. And Carol, you and I have talked about this. And so when we look around the fact that Congress has really kind of failed to invest in national care infrastructure, we really are now turning to the private sector and saying, okay, well, we're pushing the government to do the right thing. What can the private sector do to help moms right now? 
We launched the National Business Coalition for Child Care. Thanks to your support, Carol. Um, and we've been organizing, you know, private sector leaders who have been out there and really expanding benefits. And um, it's so amazing to have you here, Carol, as really you have championed this with me from the beginning. And none of the, the National Business Coalition for, for Child Care would never have happened um, if it wasn't for your support and synchrony support. So it's so great to be here. Um, bef- before we get into it, I want to tell us a little bit about your background how you came to be a, be a believer. Like, what are your experiences? You had little kids too. Like, tell us about how you've experienced childcare as a working mom. Sure. And thank you for inviting me, Rashma and Tim. It's just great to be here. And I, I love listening to the banter because I echo all of your comments around kids and digital currency. Um, I'm struggling with that as well. Um, but as it relates to, you know, being a, a working mom and a champion for, for women in childcare, uh, you know, Rashma, it goes way back early days, you know, helping to support and advancing women in tech as a woman in tech. That was really the foundation of supporting girls and women. Um, at Synchrony, the majority of our workforce is women and a large portion is hourly. So we have a unique set of challenges. Um, but for me personally, um, you know, Synchrony is the consumer finance IPO back in 2013. We began this process and I was coming back from maternity leave with, um, similar to you, Tim, a set of twins. So I had three kids under three um, and was really beginning this really really huge part of my career, which was going to be, um, you know, absolutely amazing to help lead the technology foundation for, you know, a fortune 250 company to, to separate them from a very large company. And it was one of the things that I was so excited about, but I had no idea how I was going to do it. Um, and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and I know Rashman, I know, you know, the story, but it was really, it was heart wrenching because I was trying to be a mother. I was trying to be a wife. I was trying to be a leader on something that was so critical for my company and even for my industry. And it was just, it was almost impossible. And I suffered in silence for months and months. And it was just, you know, I would keep making lists. I would try to do everything. I was Quite honestly, I was, this was back when we were all commuting to the office. I was falling asleep driving home. I was, you know, crying myself to sleep. And you know what was interesting? I wasn't telling anybody about it. I never shared how hard it was because, you know, when you roll back the time, you know, eight, nine years ago, women just tried, to, in even the generation before us, you just tried to figure it out on your own. And there was really not a lot of obvious support. And so I finally sat down with my husband and I said, hey, like, I have this tremendous opportunity, but I can't do this alone. And what was really interesting, and, it, and I know this sounds so simple, he had no idea. I mean, he's a wonderful father, mm-hmm. a great husband, but he had no idea. And I just wasn't willing to talk about. It. So I then vowed to myself that I was going to be much more vocal about how hard it was to be a working mom. You know, I think everyone thinks it's this badge of honor that you carry and that you just get through it and you survive. And once you get your kids to middle school and high school, life is good. But it was too hard to be silent about it. So that was really the start of advocating more and more aggressively for women in the workforce. You know, I take it upon myself, any woman I know that's pregnant, (laughs) before she leaves maternity leave, I have that heart to heart that says, you just got to come back and survive the first three months. You know, you just Mm got to do it and you'll get through it. You just have to figure it out and you will make it. You just need to, you know, just reach out to other women and really get that support Mm -hmm. going. And for me, you know, the trade-offs were, and I joke about this, you know, when I had that heart to heart conversation with my husband, I don't grocery shop anymore. You know, I had the ability to outsource some things. And it's funny now, you know, many years later, I'm actually not allowed to grocery shop in my family because I buy the wrong things. I spend too much money. I don't know the coupon. So it's like, I'm not allowed to do it. Which is amazing. Uh, and 
then fast forward to just sort of what happened during the pandemic. And Reshma, this is where you and I spent time. I just still remember the conversation with you about the state of women. Um, and it is in, it is just embedded in my mind. You were in your son's bedroom, sitting mm-hmm. on his bunk bed, talking about what are we going to do to support women? Their, women mm-hmm. are just breaking down and falling apart. And you were just like, we were both in our sweatpants and we were both talking about well, the, just the plight of women. And it was just so rapid and it was so like we were just overwhelmed by how quickly the business environment was changing and how quickly the pandemic was just ravaging the healthcare system the childcare system I mean, everything was coming undone and we were like what can we do um and so there was just that you know in crisis i think is where relationships are forged where we sort of both said we gotta yep. help do something and at synchrony one of the things we that we did you know obviously every company during the spring of 2020 was just stabilizing their business. Like everybody, we were figuring out how to get people to work remotely. We were figuring out how to, how to support folks. But then we really said, wow, no one knew how long this was going to last. If you think about, you know, the spring and early summer of 2020, no one really could appreciate that this thing would still drag on for as long as, as the pandemic has. Um, What we did at Synchrony is, we said we started really just pulsing and listening to our employees, like what was on their minds. Um, and one of the things that we knew we were worried about was what would the summer going, what was the summer going to look like for parents? Uh, what was the summer of 2020 with no health, with with no childcare, no camps, no jobs for kids? Um, and I remember my boss, Margaret Keene, who's an amazing woman who has since retired as our CEO and is now the chair of our board. We were having coffee virtually a Friday morning before Memorial Day weekend of 2020. And she said to me, and her kids are out of school and older. She said, so Carol, you must be so glad that virtual school is going to be over soon. I was like, I know what am I going to do with them this summer? I have to work. I've got, I, there's no camp. There's nothing like, what am I going to do with my children? And there in that morning in a half an hour, we talked about things that we could do. What can the company do to support our women? What can we do to help people be able to manage their lives? And at that moment we said, how do we, how do we host a virtual summer camp? How do we create a, a solution to help working families, to help their kids? And in that moment, we said, we can do this. And with her support, we then used agile principles, which are about testing and learning, to build a virtual summer camp. And what was so exciting about this for me personally was it was it was this virtuous cycle because you had college kids that had nothing to do. So they were the kids that were you know, creating uh, and being our virtual camp counselors. You had little kids that needed to be engaged, you know, via Zoom, learning everything from, you know, yoga to calligraphy to Taekwondo from employees, children. And then you had our employees who, you know, we have a strong sense of giving back within our company who were struggling because there was no place to volunteer because the world was shut down. They were the mentors to these college age children who were who were doing the work of camp counseling. So you created this virtuous cycle. You had your employees who were engaging with, you know, um, college age kids and high school age kids who were helping. And then you have the little kids who were going through the process. So the, through the course of that summer, we helped 3,700 kids go to summer it's camp. Incredible. Wow. It's incredible. And again, that was just through the power of we got to do something. And it's amazing yeah. when you can get people inspired and engaged. And I think that really really catapulted for us at Synchrony, the need for us to continue to support working families and specifically working moms. I mean, I love this story so much because I think a lot, I mean, companies did do, some companies did stuff, but no, I mean, they were like this, 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 this is just really a shining example mm-hmm. of when you have a couple of things here, 
two women in leadership positions, one who is experiencing in the moment right now this pain, another one who understands that and has the power. Both of you have the power and the resources to do something about it. So one, I think that's critical, right? Having women in leadership positions that have the empathy and the experience and the situational experience to say, we got to do something uh, about this. And I think secondly, a company that is like, Using creating that sense of like family and people coming together to support one another rather than like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with just giving everybody a $20 check and saying, okay, great, here's a little bit of help, go figure it out. But you really, so how, what was it about? Did Synchrony always have those values? What was it you think allowed for this moment to really happen? You know, it's a great question. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. One of the things when you get to become a company, when you go through the process that we went through, the leadership team was bonded because it was a really arduous process. So 2013, 2014, 2015. And so I think we had been grounded in such a sense of purpose. One of the things you also get to do when you get to become a company like we did through an IPO is you get to actually define your values from where you see the world and where you see the world going. And so when we developed our values and everything about the company, one of the things that we said is we are a caring company. And I know oftentimes people say those are just things you write on the wall, but we really were living that as part of our culture. Everything from how we engage with our employees to how we promote um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I mean, all of those things became part of the core of our company. And I think when the pandemic came, every company was tested. And I think because we had those foundational elements, we were able to really rely on that as the core and then at the time leverage many of the things that were happening in our business. We had for many years been adopting agile principles for how you actually get work done. We took those same principles as a leadership team and applied them to how we were going to adapt and respond during the pandemic. So when I think about the secret sauce around how we were able to test and learn and be willing to try, we just, we used muscles that were really important to us. And in that moment, we had to, the whole idea of of an agile principle is you listen to your customers, you adapt, you respond, you test, you learn. That cycle is very iterative. And we led that cultural transformation while applying those business practices to our employee base in a way that we had never before. And it really re- it really resonated with our employees because we were not only one thing is you got to listen to your employees, but we all know you then have to act on that. Mm-hmm. And we created very fast feedback loops around, okay, we heard this, this is what we're going to do. We heard this, this is what we're going to do. So when you think about it, the idea that we heard from our employees that 85% of our employees wanted flexibility and choice going forward. It was clear that we knew that was a huge part of what mattered to our employees and specifically, specifically the women in our workforce, that the the flexibility that we had had to continue and how do we build that into our culture and how do we ensure that it becomes part of how we run the company? We were really clear when we made our commitments around flexibility because that, I mean, when you talk to any working woman, I mean, the first thing that comes out of their mouth after childcare is flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so how do you balance the need for both of those. We also expanded, we listened to our childcare support. We, we took down the barriers to basically allow each employee to have 60 days of additional backup care for reimbursement. And historically, you know, before the pandemic, that was, hey, we have contracts with agencies and you can do this or you can do that. We said, when we listened to our employees, we took that barrier down. You can use those days 
And you think about it, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Your your bubble is small. You don't you don't trust people with your children because you can't. We took down those barriers and said you can use people that you know and trust for these 60 days of backup care. Okay. That is just and we've kept that in place. And just through 2022, this is just a 2022 number, we had 8,300 of backup daycare that was provided by people using folks that they know and trust. Again, another flexibility and choice because employees said we want to be able to use folks that we know. We need to make sure that this is going to be able to be done and administered really, really easily. And then the other piece that I think is part of our culture, um, and we were leaning into this before the pandemic, but then really did during covid was really helping and expanding our well-being benefits. I mean, we all know the pandemic was just so challenging on so many levels in terms of how it impacted the well-being and the mental and emotional well-being of our employees. So the things that we did, we launched sabbatical programs and allowing people to take time off. We also launched well-being coaches. And again, we did a great job MVPing that. We got feedback from our employees that says, your well-being coaches are not diverse enough. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to engage and partner with a coach that, that represents me and that looks like me and I can relate to. So we went back to the drawing board. We then went out and sourced different types of, um, of, of well-being coaches so that, so that it would it would it would be aligned with what our employees were saying and then we also put a lot of resources in place to support financial wellness because I think during the pandemic everyone was really worried and concerned so there was just a lot of the culture of caring around how do you support your employees um, and I do think when you measure this one of the things we look at is we look at you know our low attrition rates but the other thing that's really interesting to us through 2022 our the our rates of new applicant pool across all of our jobs was up 30%. That is a really great point. So when you say child care and taking care of your employees is a business need and is a business outcome, yeah. when you get the outcome of a 30% increase wow. in your applicant pool, like that just speaks for itself. Like yeah. I don't understand why everybody's not doing this. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's the low it's the lower cost to your point. It's the lower cost in terms of what happens in in retention. Right, the recruiting is mm-hmm. one of the largest things that people, the corporations, have to deal with. You know, one of the thematic uh, pieces we see is from from all the top tier organizations that offer this during during the pandemic and beyond is they provided that flexibility of being able to deploy their backup care days to people they know, like. N- not having the corporation define what caregiving looks like for you. Caregiving is such a personal matter for a family and giving that flexibility to allow caregiving to work within your individual structure. It's one thing at care.com we always say, which is, look, you can you can get an A plus B equals C formula. That's not going to fit your family's needs. It's the specific time you need care. It's the specific, specific meetings you have. It's the specific things that have to be inside of your environment. Aging parents also, by the way, right? Some families have them. Some people don't. They need help with adult backup care for that, not only child care. It's family dynamics are so personal that for yeah. companies that were really successful in this benefit, they were able to say, look, we're going to get ourselves out of the middle of it. Flexibility is on, you know what, we're going to provide you the 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 means, the the everything, you know, all of the backup care days, all of the the deployment. That's incredible. I want to take it one one other place. On, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rashma. You were no, no, you go. I, I was gonna say, you. I want to take it somewhere that, that I you piqued my interest in many things you said piqued my interest, but this one is interesting. As the husband partner aspect of this conversation, I'm I'm interested. You know, we are most times unwillingly ignorant about things. So you were privately dealing with three kids. You were personally just driving to work every day, 
making yourself go, like it sounded it sounds like from from what you've expressed like it was a definite person like you were dealing with it internally like you internalized it you would carry the weight you carried the shoulder and as a partner and a husband i can tell you more times than not i am the ignorant one in the room so i don't know what's happening like, like my partner has come to home many times i've been like did you know this this and this is happening to me and i'm like i have no clue and they're like how can you how can you not know you're around me all the time you know like it's one of those things right why why do you think employees do that? Like, what do you think it is? Like, do you think it, it is a stigma of just take on the load, take the burden? I'm just interested in what, because I think companies can take it to a certain place. And then I go, how do we enforce the conversation from the employee side to go and raise their hand and go, I'm dealing with this. Like, this is happening over here. And that's the part that I've never been able to figure out. Well, I think that pandemic did change that because you know, when I was going through that, it was, you know, eight years ago, so or nine years ago. So I think what we have to have the confidence to talk about asking for help, I think oftentimes women struggle, you know, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. I think mm-hmm. we have to turn the tables to say, there's only so much any one human can do. Um, and, and women tend to take a lot on at home and at work. And, and that burden isn't always equal. And I think you have to be able to have the conversation with your partner around, you know, what, what is changing, you know, to going from one to three children was a big, big change. And you throw a few other things like an IPO and, and a lot of career opportunity into that and not really, you know, you're in the day-to-day battle when your children are young, you're, you know, Rush, you still know this with the two-year-old, you're just, you're firefighting every day. Sometimes you have to take a step back. One of the things that I've learned in my career in talking with folks is you have to give them the opening to tell you. Mm. So I there's three magic words that I've learned in the last several years. When someone says something and you think you think there's a there there, you have to give them an opportunity. You just the three magic words are tell me more. Because mm. if you say to someone, How was your day? The answer can how many people will say fine? But if you say to someone, What did you do today? That is a different question, mm. and you'll start to hear something in there, and then you just and you say, "Well, tell me more." And eventually, that opening up. And I think during the pandemic, I think so many good things. There was so many things about the fact that we got to know each other on a personal level, seeing people in their homes, seeing their pets, seeing their children, experiencing something traumatic together, brought us together and bound us. That I think there is a much more of an openness to have these conversations in the workplace. So, so you both I just are, hope we don't go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we are. And I think that's why yeah. it's really important to tell these stories. So I, so, but you both inspired me to ask this question to like Carol. So you're like our resident expert on like all things. Pre- so how does that go from then? When does a company feel like well, that's my obligation mm-hmm. to provide that support and provide that help? So like fascinating to me, mental health. When I was in the workplace, the thought that I could go into my employer and say, I'm really struggling with my mental health. Can you help me? Forget about it, right? But we quickly culturally moved, thank you millennials, into that being the expectation. Probably one of the things that HR, you know, HR supporters really think about is what are the best mental health benefits that I can offer? Because it's, again, something that is seen. Same thing with IVF. I never would have thought, you know what I mean? 15 years ago that my employer was basically the one that was responsible for helping me figure out how to pay for having a baby. You know what I mean? With my fertility issues. But now that's like the norm. What's shocking to me is that 
one would think that the employer should help me with childcare because I can't work unless I have childcare. Like it's very directly correlated to being me being able to literally show up in the office and be productive and to your bottom line. Whereas I would argue the mental health and the IVF stuff is a little bit more, you know what I mean, disconnected, one could argue from the quote business case of why I should pay for that, right? Um, so what's what's up with that? Like why did those two things kind of easily and very quickly, you know what I mean, get put into a benefits package, but we're still struggling on childcare? What are your thoughts? Sorry, I know that's like you a big, a I don't even know what the answer to that is. Yeah, you know? I think, um, when you look at mental health and mental wellness, I think it was, it was prevalent across, you know, so many parts of our organization and, you know, not specifically just millennials. I think we worried about people that were working at home by themselves that had, you know, they were single, they, they didn't have a lot of contact. We also looked at, you know, how, um, you know, what was happening in our country. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, between, you know, George Floyd and, 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 and everything that was happening with, with, with race in this country and how our employees were experiencing that and how we needed to lean into that. So we leaned in and talked about many things in the, in, in, in our Ask Us Anything calls, in the types of dialogues we were having with our employees, not only were they about mental health, they were about, they were about, you know, racial tension in the country, they were about expectations, they were about many things that just became in the forefront. Um, and I do think that that they were brought to light, to your point, many of them are based on the demographic shifts within the workplace. I think also when you look at the, the makeup of leadership teams about what they're willing to have the conversation on. So obviously, Margaret, as a as a as a female CEO, there was a lot happening. We did a CEO transition in um in mid 2021 to Brian Doubles, who is uh, the father, his kids are the same age as mine. So you have a, you know, a younger CEO with living with, you know, children at home and children being in remote schooling. So he's feeling that as well. So I think some of why different companies responded differently and why childcare has stayed in the forefront in some places and not in others. I think some of it is just the willingness of the company to Mm. continue to keep it in the forefront for those that for those that haven't, I think it's to your point, some of them just is letting it go back to the status quo that, you know, people solved that before when the world was normal, as we head back to what normal is, um, it will go back to that, which I believe is just the yeah. wrong answer. And, and I think stigma, like I would find it hard at my age right now, given the way I was raised to go to my employer and ask for uh, wellness and mental health benefits. I would, because I would think that there's a stigma. Whereas I think young people, they got, don't feel that way. And so we're asking for that. And I still think that we think, understandably so, there's a stigma to saying, well, I think you should support me with childcare because we're worried because of the motherhood penalty and the, you know what I mean, that we are actually going to be penalized for that. So that's the other, I think, really important opportunity, I think, is how are we teaching employees that it's okay, you know what I mean, to ask for the things that you need? Yeah. Right. Well, I think the other piece around this, and I know we talk a lot about this, we expanded our paternity benefits early in the pandemic as well. So we, not only do we have great paternity benefits, but we expanded our paternity benefits. And so we've seen a very, very strong uptick in paternity benefits as well, because we know when fathers are involved early on in childcare, it changes the dynamic in the home. And it also brings that employee back to work with a very different perspective. So our CHRO had his third child during the pandemic and took a paternity leave. I mean, and it was just you know, important as a leader for him to do that, but important, you know, the perspective that he brings back to the leadership team as well. So I think you need these role models that you can't, because again, benefits that people don't take 
it doesn't matter. But if you use them and celebrate them, and then those, you know, both men and women that are having, you know, becoming parents, use that as a conversation starter so that you can continue to talk about the challenges of childcare. And I think the other piece is flexibility isn't just for women. You know, during the pandemic, through some of the listening sessions we did, our employees were getting burnt out. So we, you know, enacted flexible Fridays. So we gave people opportunities to have time on Friday afternoons to focus on things to you know, help them re recharge and rejuvenate and not have meetings and really get the time that they need because we were all so, you know, stretched being on, you know, on, on digital media for so long. And it was really taking a toll on our employees' well-being. The conversations, you know, the conversation over the last 20 years has really progressed, you know, hearing you talk, Carol, it is paternity specifically, you know, I, I, from the paternity perspective, I can tell you 20 years ago in my career, it wasn't discussed. It was still the vulnerability. It's the vulnerability stigma, right? Like the, the, the dads go back to work within 24 hours, 48 hours or whatever it is. And sure, there was, there was some trailblazers, there's people leading the way, but it was, it was the exception, not the rule. And now, similarly, even within care, we see I see a large step function. We active we work on active, uh, I will say, nudging to take paternity because mm-hmm. because of what you like. The studies show fathers create a, a larger bond. Gender roles become you know more dispersed within the the household. You know, there's so many benefits for the paternity, not to mention for the employee themselves. It's their mental health becomes so much stronger when they have the bond with their child. So we do active nudging. We are very much like I am one of those CEOs who sits there and goes, "Aren't you? Why are you on this call? Nope, you need to bye bye. Like you're on paternity. Bye. I don't want to like I, we we will handle without." Um, but that that also is kind of still the exception, not the rule in a lot of organizations. But you do see it climbing. So I'm interested. Like I do think that the next ten years are going to be so transformative in the world of maternity and paternity. The thing mm-hmm. we've all said in this call or this this session that I I want to hit on is as long as society continues to lean into it, I think, and I summarize it this way: the economy could take this out. I think quickly if 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 care benefits were done for the necessity of the pandemic, right, and then companies revert back to what they think is the norm. I think it's going to be a impact to employees, impact to employers. I think it's going to be impact to society as a whole. How do you think employees, let me ask you this from the employee perspective, right? How do you think employees continue to advocate successfully for these benefits without having the hanging, uh, looming pandemic as a rationale in organizations? What do you think the right way to do that is? It's a great question. I think you know, our, our, you know, at Synchrony, we've made the commitment to continue these. So yes, they were born out of the pandemic, but they're part of our benefits going forward. So I think we have to make sure that they become part of what we offer to our employees. And I think the key is we, we track who is using them. We make sure that they are, to your point, when you're on leave, that you are not joining calls, that you're not part of the conversation, that you are using the benefits as they're designed. And then making that part of the celebration. Like when I tell you uh, the conversation I had with DJ Castro, who's our CHRO, and when he went on paternity leave, I said, you realize you have to be declarative about Mm. this. You have to make sure people know you're gone. And when you come back, you need to be on LinkedIn. You need to be on our Synchronet site. You need to be all over the place talking about it because you're going to normalize it. And I think as, as millennials grow into more leadership positions with these expectations that are being set now, it will become more the norm. And I think we just have to fight the trend. And I think that's where 
where the National Coalition for Child Care and Marshall Plans for Mom, and where we're connecting, you know, organizations like Synchrony with other large companies that are really taking the lead here because, number one, employees will continue to expect this into the future. Yeah. The business case is clear. As I said, our applicant pool is up 30%. I mean, that's flexibility. That's our commitment to child care. That's our commitment to mental wellness. These are the intangibles that many companies need to put out into the market in order for us to, to only not only retain, but attract the talent that we need. I just think if you're not doing this, you're going to have challenges creating the pipeline of talent that you need. Okay. I just, I think there's no, there's no way of, of, of avoiding it. It's just the reality of what has changed in every employee's mind and yeah. their expectations. And it's not just moms that are looking for it. It's dads, it's millennials. I mean, hey, I was with Lizzo at the People's Choice Award and she's talking about paid leave and affordable childcare and the kids are like, yeah, like they want these things. So they're also, you know, I often think that they're also planning ahead. So mm -hmm. they are looking at, okay, what's, what's, if I want to be in financial services, who's the company that's out there talking about paid leave and affordable child? Oh, Synchrony. Synchrony's out there, right? With Marsh Plant. Like that's like, I'm going there and I'm not going to X other company. So I, I think that that's, I think that these things and companies who get it, it's like, it's just, it, it pays back. Uh, you know, one of the things is, I know we're getting it at time, like, so the conventional wisdom, oftentimes I get, and I'm sure Tim, you do too. Well, why are you at, why are you working with the private sector? Shouldn't it really be the government that's paying for it? And the conventional wisdom is that the private sector is only going to provide these benefits to its most privileged workers, and the ones who need it the most are going to be left out. What do you say to that? Because you have a lot of hourly workers. I mean, I think government plays a role, but it's it's a public-private partnership. And I think business can lead here. And I'm proud of the businesses that are. I mean, we have, you know, 75 to 80% of our workforce is hourly. These are benefits that we offer for our entire workforce. And you have to, you cannot create different categories of workers. You can't just say, this is for my, you know, my, my salaried workforce and this is for my hourly. That's not going to work. And so we you know, the public sector, the private sector can't do it alone, but you have to offer these across all of your employees. And and I will tell you that that is where we see the uptick. You know, we think about the, the you know, maternity benefits, when we think about all the work we're doing on um, on taking down the barriers for, uh, for care and all the, the mental health. I mean, the majority of that is happening in our hourly workforce, which is really, really important. And we're doing more in that area as well as we continue to lean into how do we actually add even more flexibility around how do you, how do you create split shifts? How do you create dynamic scheduling? How do you actually support the flexibility needs of an hourly workforce? Like those are things we know we're going to have to solve for. So it's one thing to say, hey, we're doing these things, but what are the next things to continue to attract and retain that workforce that we need. I mean, it's, 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 again, it's a business imperative. If you have the talent to help lead and, and do the jobs at your company, you have to do everything you can to support the needs of that workforce. I, I think there's no other answer. <laughs> it's just, it's the reality we're working in. And I, it really boggles my mind that there are business leaders out there that don't see the problem the way that we do. I just mm -hmm. don't understand how that is possible after you and me both as, as a company, as a country, as a society, I just don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I also think it's like, this is, you know, it, you know, um, Tim and I are seeing this as I'm seeing this. I'm sure Tim, you're seeing this and as, as, as this is becoming, I, 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 I almost feel like this issue is like how climate was 10, 12 years ago. Mm. People were like, 
it was fringe thing, right? And that, and now it's like the center of the conversation. We're seeing that the three of us, because we're in it, that like this is the conversation, and that we are going to have to solve this problem because it is fundamental to women being able to succeed in the workplace. You know, what I mean, families being able to kind of thrive and survive, and so people are not there yet. We're ahead. We're always a little ahead, right? Yeah. yeah. And so part of it is getting people to move it along. And, and I think that's why this conversation is so powerful and important because I do think a major roadblock is it's too expensive. I can't afford it. You know, what's the point of it, right? And so I think everything you're saying in terms of the increased amount of applicants you've gotten, you know, the lower rates of attrition, you know, I mean, the impact that it's made, you know, I mean, on women and, and employees across the board, the fact that it makes businesses, in fact, we should have to say that, right. but yeah. we should, but, but, you know, I think part of it is you make the economic case. And then you have to make the cultural case, right? The other part is, and I know Carol, you and I talked about this at you know most powerful women. It's it's, you know, oftentimes if you were to do and and not at your company because I think you have the right culture and the values that people feel like they can speak and ask for things freely without being penalized, you know, for their identity, whether it's race, whether it's parenting, whether it's gender, whether it's sexual orientation. At some places, when you ask women, your moms, what is the number one benefit you need? They talk about professional development and not childcare, yeah. not because they don't need childcare, but they're worried that if they say that they do, that they will not get that promotion, not get that, you know, not get that salary increase. And so that is the cultural shift. Yes. You know what I mean, that yep. we have to make too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, for the first time in society, we are, to your point, Rashma, questioning the norm. Like really, like really questioning the norm, not necessarily just you know, sure, there's been a lot of legislation over over the like last 50 years that has attempted to try to fix a system or change the system, but it's been, you know, it's been half-hearted efforts. Let's just be honest about it, right? This is the first time I think in society people are starting to go, this doesn't work. This isn't sustainable. This doesn't work, right? Yeah. And I, you're right. I don't think we've hit the drumbeat. I don't think we're at the apex of the conversation by any means. I do think, though, what's interesting is we society has positioned itself, especially U.S. society, let's just talk about domestic society for a moment, into a very untenable situation. When over 20% of your household income is being spent on childcare, on the average family, that's not tenable. And then for you to have multiple children, it amplifies and grows, right? So you are then working a job, if it's a two-household income, in order to just pay for childcare for one of those, right? And so it becomes the situation where people go, I can't afford it individually. My employer is subsidizing some of it or not subsidizing it at all. The government's doing nothing. It's just an untenable situation for families now, but yeah. exponentially more in the future. And, you know, talking, Carol, listening to you and, and talking about the incredible things your company's doing, it's, it is going to have to be that public-private sector mix, I believe, with the individual contributions as well, the individual families as well. And I think that we're really in the, what I call the Play-Doh stage. Like we are playing with the clay, figuring it out, trying to see what the right benefits are working. And I do think it's going to be a composite of that over time. I still think the road is long. And I think we need more companies such as yours stepping up and saying, look, we're going to try a few things. We're going to iterate. We're going to keep playing with this, right? And this landscape is going to shift and it's going to change. But we want the best talent. We want the best people, we want to retain, and we want you to know we are here because you should have a family if you choose to have a family. And, I, I you know, uh, on my soapbox as usual, but similarly to you, I end up in a, I don't understand how companies sit out there and say, 
that's someone else's problem. Or, you know, that's not our issue. Like, good luck, mother. Good luck, father. <laughs> you know, like, have fun. Like, you know, but come to work and show up and perform your best. Like, it's it's just it's mind-blowing to me. And, you know, I'm thankful for these conversations. I'm thankful for you, Carol. Like, companies like yeah. such as yours that are actually out there leading this. Because this is what's going to be required to change. This is going to be what lays the, the bricks. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful to you, Carol, because I do think that – and I felt this way. I, I tell this funny Failure Friday story how, like, a friend of mine was, like, sitting in a bar somewhere and someone was like, I can't believe Reshma's working on that issue next. <laughs> As if it was, like – you know what I mean? Like, this soft kind no. of, like – and, and it, but I do think that in our world, oftentimes to be, you know, you should be working on mentorship or sponsorship or, you know what I mean? Like, but, but to work on childcare and paid leave is seen as like, ooh. And so I do think that like, this is courageous of you, Carol. Sure. You know what I mean? To, to basically as someone in your position of your power and your resources to say, this is the issue you know, and girls who code, you know, that I'm, that I'm ride or dying on, right. That this is the issue. That's my legacy as, you know, a senior woman, you know what I mean? In finance and in tech that I'm going to try to change. Um, and you are ahead of the curve. Um, Definitely. Definitely. and your legacy is going to be a reminder of that. And because this is the thing that's going to get us to equality period. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Echo that hundred so, percent. This was amazing. This was fun. <laughs> Really appreciate your time, Carol, and your leadership and your wisdom and your um, your generosity. Yeah, the and, insights, and the insights alone, share. Carol. I'm going to take away. Like, no, I didn't. I had no idea you were such a large proportion of hourly employee. Like, like I didn't know employees. that either. That's amazing. And but yeah. the impact that happened. You know, I was raised by an hourly. I was my mother was a single mother raised hourly. Like, you know, she was working hourly, and um, just the impact that makes to have a benefit such as this. Yeah. You know, she was. Um, she spent the majority of her hourly pay on childcare and other other facets yeah. for her family, and that you know that's just uh, means a lot. It's really impressive. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, Carol, for your leadership. Awesome. What a great conversation! And we're going to continue it with our next guest, Melanie Moriarty, Senior Director of HR Rewards for Best Buy. Melanie, welcome. Thanks for having me. Hi, Melanie. Thanks for joining us. Hi. I'm going to jump right in. So, Melanie, Best Buy offers a comprehensive, you know, childcare package in terms of taking care of all of your employees at all levels of the organization in family care and childcare. I'm a little curious, how, why, like, you know, a lot of companies are exploring this, looking at this, but you all were real, you know, leaders in the space. Like, you were foraging the space when this wasn't something that was really offered inside of corporate America. Can you tell us a little bit about what drove the decision, what got you there in terms of Best Buy taking a vested interest in this? Sure. Um, yeah, we've been on this journey for quite some time. Um, I guess it all stems from um, just our leadership philosophy about employees being our most important asset. So we're committed to taking care of them. Um, and we know that um, you know, if they're able to balance work and home, they can be more productive and happy at work and home. So our journey with uh, our backup care in particular and some of our caregiving um, support programs started in about 2016-17. Um, we did an employee preference survey on our benefit programs and um, our employees basically told us they needed help. They needed help 
um, in the caregiving space. And that's when we launched our caregiver program. Uh, right around the same time, we also um, were hearing from our field leaders um, the need for this program. We actually had a, a situation of a, a leader in one of our retail stores um, who brought her baby into mm -hmm. um, work and um, employees took turns in the break room taking care of her little one while she worked. And, and that story um, just made its way all the way up to corporate. So with that story and the results of our survey, it was, um, you know, clear that we needed a program such as um, our backup program. It's amazing. I mean, you were ahead of the curve before anybody else, right? Was really even doing stuff on this, on this, on the caregiving crisis. Um, and then the pandemic hits though, right? Mm -hmm. And the past few years, even in the middle, we're in the middle of a triple-demic, right? RSV, COVID, the flu, uh, half our daycare centers are still shut down, right? The crisis is still very, uh, very present. So what are the, so, but you were doing it before. So what did, what did you, sh did you shift anything over the past two years? What did the past two years teach you? Did you provide more benefits, different benefits? What did you learn? Yeah, we we did. Um, I mean, certainly I think um, during the pandemic, I think that's I was ahead of everyone in regards to the, the programs that we offered. I think first and foremost, um, at the onset, our goal was to keep everybody um, working and getting paid. Um, and so we had a, a support, pay support programs um, all the way through just this past fall for COVID. And then um, with the um, care shortage, um, and then also, you know, parents now becoming teachers, you know, um, our employees were wearing multiple hats. Um, they had to be more flexible with their hours. Schools were closed. Kids were at home with them. Um, and they just weren't equipped um, to be teachers and, and working. Um, so we did um, launch a um, tu uh, tutor reimbursement program for employees um, to help those parents, um, you know, with their children while they're trying to um, help them learn. And distance learning was a new thing for kids and as well as parents. And then also um, with the care shortage, um, a lot of centers were closed, um, but there was this network. Um, a lot of people, you know, didn't have jobs or college students were home. And so we really tapped into that. And so utilizing care.com's personal network program was huge for us. Um, we opened that up for employees um, so that they could tap into that network. That's incredible. And I, I feel like these programs, I don't even feel, I, I just know these programs from conversations I have with business leaders, you know, such as yourself and other, other industries, it really does add to the employee dynamic of retention and really makes them, you know, more ingratiated in, in kind of the bilateral relationship between companies and employees. And I'm, I'm sure you experienced some of that, but we'd love to hear, like, are you seeing it on the metrics from, from productivity and satisfaction of employees? Like, I'd love to hear a little bit about the, the numbers or things you're seeing. Yeah, certainly. Um, so we did that employee preference survey that I mentioned back in um, 2017, and we just redid it this past year. And, um, I, you know, the investment we made in our employees was so telling because 85% of our employees told us that they thought we were above market for mm -hmm. our well-being benefits. Mm -hmm. So um, that was just fantastic to see. Um 
you know, as far as backup care in, in general, I mean, it's totally measurable. We know that for each day of backup care, it's a day of productivity that could have been lost. And so for in our, you know, our retail locations and our stores, um, our customers continue getting served where, you know, if you had your, your regular care fall through and you might not be able to make it to work, um, that customer might not get the kind of support um, by that employee being there. So um, certainly measurable. One of the things Reshma and I talk about often is just how services and care, right? Care.com, but pan care, right? Like you look at the, the daycare industry, you look at schools, is it really opens up opportunities for different demographics, just different segments of, of, of individuals who normally would be shut out, so to speak, in a lot of these opportunities. You know, we've had guests on previous podcasts just talking about how gender equality starts to get more and more in sync when you offer benefits like this. Um, do you see that in your front line? Like what, what would be interesting to see, like, you know, I know I come from a single mom, for example, right? Who's working a lot of time at nights and would, you know, I won't age myself, Melanie, for the sake of the conversation, but, you know, would kludge together a lot of neighborhood because there were no resources. There was no such thing as online back in those days. Um, and like, she missed out on a lot of opportunities for herself, right? In terms of shifts she could pick up as a nurse and hours worked. Are you seeing that, like, as you talk to employees in different in your different stores and different retail, are you seeing the demographics really get impacted by the offerings that you guys have led the way on? Um, certainly. I, I think, you know, um, maybe you've heard, but um, we're super proud of the fact that we ranked number 15 on Forbes um, 2022 list of world's top female-friendly companies. Um, which recognizes companies that support women at and outside of the workplace. So we're super proud of that. And, um, you know, certainly we wouldn't have made that list if it wasn't for programs like this. So, um, and, you know, the backup care is just one of many programs that we have to support working parents. And, um, you know, we really tap into um, our different employee resource groups. We have a parenting uh, employee resource group. And so, um, yeah, I think just in, just having that inclusive environment and making, um, you know, in particular working women feel like they're supported is, um, is critical to our success. That's great. Yeah, you know, we did a survey with McKinsey, the Marshall Plan for Moms did, uh, which found that 88% of women with young children are looking for a job that has predictable hours, flexible work, and support with childcare. And that is what's like, those things are the ones that are helping them decide where to go. Are you finding that? And like, again, when you make the top 15 list, how do you know whether it is your benefits on flexibility, mm. predictability, and, and, and childcare that is really creating that kind of satisfaction? The reason why I'm asking is, I know we're later going to ask you about how we get more companies to do what you're doing and be a first mover like you are. But a lot of that is like, you know, Bill Gates would say, you cannot change what you cannot measure. But being clear and, you know, showing that these benefits are actually leading to lower attrition and, and, or, or a higher quality workforce. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's our employees telling us, right, um, as I mentioned, um, the results of our survey, but also, um, you know, we have certain, um, you know, measurements that we have inside that, um, like, you know, w women in like leadership roles. Um, so um, just trying to raise the bar and having more female leaders within our 
our, our stores as well as corporate. And so, you know, we have certain demographic metrics that um, we measure, but also, like I said, employees just telling us. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that like it's, it, it's representation matters, right? When you have more female leaders, they can represent those individuals inside of your stores. And I would think, you know, like this is representative of anywhere, right? It's the obvious statement of they represent the, the struggles, the plight, the responsibilities that an individual, not someone doesn't speak for everyone, right? Rush actually taught me really interestingly enough, you know, it's, 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 we had this, I don't know gosh, how many podcasts ago it was. They all, you know, there's been so many great guests, they come together, but we had this conversation about how, you know, for a long time, Actually, I think it was you, Rush, who said this. With the women take on the, or had for a long time taken on the responsibility of being like, I'm going to forge the path in companies, and I'm going to be the leader. And it's not like your existence is enough, right? And so yeah. I think that when there's a voice to your existence is enough, and here's what moms have to deal with, and here's what pe- your parents are having to go through, it really does add that layer of conversation to the decisions being made in organizations that actually make a difference. So it sounds like Best Buy is really yeah, nailing it- that. So great. And I think, I guess the women at Best Buy too are telling you what they need, which I think yeah. is also part of what's so important and so critical that you've created a culture where people feel comfortable saying, I need this. Yeah. And and that oftentimes doesn't exist, you know what I mean, in, in a lot of companies where people feel scared or they think they're going to get penalized, you know, if they ask for the support that they need. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our- you know, I think that goes across the board. Um, just our, again, I think it starts at the top. Our leaders have really set that stage that every single employee matters um, and that every single employee has a, has a voice. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I should make a, a quick disclaimer. I, I, you know what? It sounds like these questions have been teed up and like we, we, we coerced or like, you know, practiced ahead of time. Uh, we haven't. Just so everyone knows, these are all organic questions we're asking Best Buy, you know, like, and Melanie's being gracious and answering them, but Best Buy happens to be that good in terms of what they're doing, right? Like, it's like, you ask the question, it's like, yeah, we have women who are representing. We have women who are actually giving us the feedback. We are top 15 at the Forbes list. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting. We're having this conversation. And just in my head, I'm like, wow, if I'm a listener going through this, I'm thinking, like, man, they really ad? set up Melanie for a win, <laughs> like a nail out of the park. No, But, but honestly, no, Best Buy is just that good. Like, it's it's really great that more organizations are stepping into this. And I think that and that's here's the, the thing. We, gotta lift, we have to lift people up who are doing good things because other people will follow. Yeah. You know? And that's a grocery yeah. code what we did. It was really celebrating people who were making a change on technology and other people being, oh, I can do that too. Which leads me to my next question. So I was... Um, I was DMing last night with a teacher in Georgia who was really, you know, she was teacher of the year and she was saying, I'm really, I want to figure out how to get childcare, subsidized childcare benefits for the teachers here. And as you may know, teachers like basically put their, you know, paid leave benefits together with their sick days. There are no childcare benefits even during the pandemic for mo- for our essential workers. And it's, it's, it's a crisis. And, um, and I was thinking about your story of, of the woman of the woman in 2017 who brings her baby, you know what I mean, because she probably didn't have childcare and everybody pitches in and how that then creates, you know what I mean, this effect at corporate being like, okay, wait, that's not right. Nobody should have, I'm assuming this, nobody should have to do this. How, what can we do to make? So this happens. 
I'm sure there are teachers who may have brought their babies to work. I'm sure that there are other women, you know what I mean, who work at restaurants and retail. I mean, I know I have and sometimes not gotten the empathy, right? So how does that happen? What, how does that happen? Like, honestly, right? Like how, because, because it doesn't normally happen, right? Where you see a wrong and you make it a right in, in our capitalist society. So explain. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's certainly an issue. I'm, and I, I think that again, I, Best Buy has a culture. We have a culture where we put the employee at the center of everything we do. Um, our leaders genuinely care. Um, I, I think though, you know, try to find, I think the advice I'd give is try to find a way for your voice to be heard, whether it's talking to your um, HR business partner or looking, um, you know, I, we have a lot of different ERGs, employee resource groups that represent different groups. Um, I mentioned our parenting group. Um, there's a women's group. I mean, we are always, um, you know, in our, our benefits and rewards team, partnering with those different groups and um, they're sharing with us and we're sharing with them. So, um, you know, form a network, um, come together as a, as, as a group to advocate for what you need. Incredible. That's really profound. Too, right. Yeah. yeah, it's really – yeah, and I think it's also really empowering, Tim, that, like, people can feel like, well, how do I make a difference? Well, you can, right? And here's yeah. an example, right, where ERGs, women, parents, people said, you know, this is something we want to see changed. And so yeah. I think that this is the ripple effect that we want to see happen across the country and workplaces. It's totally great. It, you know, so many companies don't have ERGs, right? So many companies don't have these resources. And, and Melly, what you hit upon that really is striking me is it really is about a, a – group of individuals getting together and advocating. Like it really is a grassroots movement in some regards. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the extreme of a protest, right? It could literally be a group of people who are in a common plight together that walk up and say, hey, we're facing this. How can, can we work together and figure something out? And I really do think that the power and the voice of the people matter in that regard when it comes to organizations. And I think employees, team members, whatever you refer to them inside of your organization, can forget that sometimes, you know, like, I think it's easy to default to, well, I'm, you know, I'm just this team member, or I'm just doing this. And it's not necessarily, they think bad about themselves, but they just forget that they have so much inside of their voice to be able to advocate. Yeah. You bring up a, a just thinking about grassroots efforts where Best Buy does a lot of that. And um, we actually, about a year ago, started an ambassador well a well-being ambassador network. So in every single location, we have a well-being ambassador. And that's another voice um, for like employees in the stores. And we work really closely with that group as well. So um, we're all about hearing the feedback and 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 part partnering with um, the voices of the of our, our blue shirts, as we call them. That's great. What do you say to people who say, well, that must be really expensive? How do you, because that's often the thing I feel like when we talk to businesses, like, again, in the middle of this inflation, recession, economy, let, like the things that they're cutting are childcare and paid leave. But what do you say to them? What have you learned? Well, for us, I mean, if um, it, again, it goes back to that productivity. And um, if, if an employee can't be at 
work because of that last minute disruption in care and they have to miss a shift and that shift can't be fulfilled, um, that's productivity and sales lost in our stores. So it makes economic sense. Yeah. It, it's it's great. You really do have, Melanie, the correlation of you miss X, We it doesn't produce Y, right? A lot of companies, it's a little bit more malleable in terms of that. They're like, well, you know, my white collar employees, if they miss the day of the accounting function, like, you know, making up a scenario here, of course, but like, you know, they go, how do I return? And, and I think that companies have to get back to the brass tacks of that, of like going, when people miss work, they're not producing the results you need to produce, right? And so it's yeah. like, I think that's really where it gets back into that. It goes beyond just those, you know, productivity productivity measures as well, though. I mean, if you think about just employee engagement and loyalty to your company and um, employees who feel like their company cares for them are more likely to stay, they're more likely to be engaged and um, committed to the organization. Decrease your like recruitment costs mm-hmm. and the retention yeah. costs and all of the factors that, you know, you definitely could, can become laborious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. I mean, I think about my, I don't know how your Tim, your fam, your, your mom, but for my parents, you know, they worked at the same job for like 30 yep. years. And part of it was because both of their companies had really strong family values. I always say like they knew my name, they knew I went to high school, like I was they had family. I remember they used to have these family barbecues, right? Yeah. Like and they'd rent out, you know, these big parks and they were so much fun. And but everything was centered around the family. And and I think it's it was a big reason why my parents were immigrants, didn't know the language, refugees, stayed at those companies forever, didn't look for other opportunities because they felt like they were taken care of. Yeah. I think that's what people want right now. Yeah. Yeah. 25 years. Really? <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow, that's incredible. And, and, and so this is like must hit home with you in terms of, you know, you've created an environment. It's also interesting, like it's it, interesting is one word I could, I will also say it's actually really admirable that you're now at the helm, so to speak, like you have a guiding hand in helping all of the different, like, you know, after 25 years, you are an influential force and all of that. Yeah. Like that must come full circle. You must feel really Love great it. about that. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. My job. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I have a question. Sorry. I'm going to take it in a different direction, which is I, you have such a vast network of blue shirts out there, right? I mean, you touch every demographic, every socioeconomic, like you have everything inside of your employee base, I I imagine. What's next when it comes to families and childcare? Wait, two two point question, because I'm also a tech nerd. So I want to know what's next in technology, but I, because you have all the inside scoop, but I also really want to know like, what's next for families? What's next? What do you see on the the horizon for benefits and employees and and corporations in that relationship of creating? Well, I I can tell you something we're focusing on right now, and that's um, disabilities, Mm. Um, whether it's caring for somebody with a disability or, um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of our um, employees are neurodivergent themselves. And how do you support that? That's great. Yeah. Rashman, I've talked about it. I have a neurodivergent son in terms of just some of the things he just deals with just some, some cognitive developmental, like, you know, like in terms of reading and writing and the fundamentals and, you know, we've Best Buy Care have had a long-term relationship, which has been great. And some of the like the, the thing we're really focused on as well is it's it is something where 
I, I turn to our internal resources and I go, help me. Like, I don't even know where to go. Like, to be frank, they're like, I'm, you know, I'm the CEO of care.com. Like, I have no idea, like, who to call, who to talk to, what resources for tutoring, what resources should I get in terms of developmental? What's the measurable benchmarks I should be monitoring in terms of like, is he getting, is he at second grade level? Like, it's those kind, and that's just really overwhelming sometimes. Like, it's really like, it's, it's, it's compounding on a lot of ways. And luckily, I, been able to go and turn to our resources and they're like, okay, you should be looking for this, this, and this, but a lot of people don't have that. So it's, that's great. It's really great. It's awesome. Cool. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Melanie, for everything you're doing. And definitely Melanie, this was incredible. I really appreciate taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Awesome. Thank thank you. you so much, Melanie. Thank you to Best Buy for making one for leading the way and taking the time. Really appreciate that. So excellent.